Welcome to the Hello Someday podcast, the podcast for busy women who are ready to drink less and live more. I'm Casey McGuire-Davidson, ex-red wine girl turned life coach, helping women create lives they love without alcohol. But it wasn't that long ago that I was anxious, overwhelmed, and drinking a bottle of wine a night to unwind. I thought that wine was the glue holding my life together, helping me cope with my kids, my stressful job, and my busy life. I didn't realize that my love affair with drinking was making me more anxious and less able to manage my responsibilities. In this podcast, my goal is to teach you the tried and true secrets of creating and living a life you don't want to escape from. Each week, I'll bring you tools, lessons, and conversations to help you drink less and live more. I'll teach you how to navigate our drinking-obsessed culture without a buzz, how to sit with your emotions when you're lonely or angry, frustrated or overwhelmed, how to self-soothe without a drink, and how to turn the decision to stop drinking from your worst-case scenario to the best decision of your life. I am so glad you're here. Now let's get started. Hey there. I've got some big news for you that I have been not so patiently waiting to tell you about. After six months away, my super popular completely free masterclass is back and it's better than ever. I've been working on it for months. So if you have been struggling to get sober momentum, please go to hellosomedaycoaching.com forward slash class. You can sign up for my free training, Five Secrets to Taking a Break from Drinking, even if you've tried and failed in the past. In this 60-minute masterclass, I am going to share with you all the things you need to stop doing because they're setting you up for self-sabotage and what you need to start doing instead. I am giving you the steps and the mindset shifts that I go through every day with my private coaching clients, and it is completely free. So if you are sober curious, if you've been thinking about taking a break from alcohol, this class is going to set you up for success. I promise you it is worth your time. So hit pause on this episode, go to hellosomedaycoaching.com forward slash class and save your seat. My guest today is Laura McCowan, the author of the book, We Are the Luckiest, The Surprising Magic of a Sober Life. Laura writes an award-winning blog, has hosted two incredible podcasts, Home and Spiritualish, and has been featured in the New York Times, The Guardian, WebMD, Psychology Today, The Today Show, and more. Laura had a long, successful career in public relations and the madman-esque drinking culture of advertising. After getting sober, she became recognized as a fresh voice in recovery, beloved for her soulful and irreverent writing online and in print. Laura is the founder of several online programs for sobriety and personal development, teaching people how to say yes to a bigger life and founded The Luckiest Club, a sobriety support community. So Laura, welcome. Thank you. Thank you so much. I'm so excited you could come on here because I told you just before we jumped on that five years ago, when I was just in the few weeks before quitting drinking, I used to go walking and listen to you and Holly on the home podcast. Yeah, that's so it's so awesome. I love hearing that. And now it's been five years later. It's five years later. Here it's we are. Been a long time. Mm-hmm. So I loved your book. I know so many women listening to this absolutely loved We Are the Luckiest. So thank you for writing that. Yeah, thank you. Thank you. I feel grateful to have had the opportunity to have a book out there in the world. It's it was a big dream of mine. So yeah. It's strange <laughs> to remember. Sometimes I remember like, oh, yeah, there's a whole story out there about, you know, my life, but it's great. Yeah. And I know you do so much work with women in early sobriety who are in the process of stopping drinking, but you also do this whole other part of work about saying yes to a bigger life. Yeah. 
I started, it started as like a, a workshop. Like when I first quit my career in advertising, I'm a yoga teacher. I have been for a long time. And I was like, okay, what can I do? You know, when I quit my career and I started teaching these yoga workshops and it, it started out as a three, four hour workshop. And then I realized like, oh my God, this is so much content. So I created a class. So now it's a class and it comes from this idea that for me and for a lot of people, you know, sobriety is this invitation to sort of wake up to our lives. And a lot of times we find that we aren't living the way that we really want to live, you know, so whether it's relationships or our career, our job, our, you know, or even just our value, we've never really thought about our values and how, if we're living according to them, you know, for a in alignment that way. So it's really about taking people through a process of exploring that. And it's just so nice to also have a space where you can ask yourself, yourself, these big questions, right? We don't typically do that. Yeah. We sort of save it, these, you know, small moments of our lives or just before we go to bed at night or, you know, in the shower or whenever it is that we take time to sort of, or we'll, we'll have a, you know, we'll, we'll, a lot of times we say, well, oh, I don't know what I want to be doing, but it's not this, you know, like this, this can't be it, but we don't really take time to explore that. So it's fun. Sobriety is just like a beginning, as you know. Yeah. No, I love that. So. One of my, um, one of my friends here in the local Seattle area, said she took your course, The Bigger Yes. She actually did it during quarantine. She and her family were driving an RV across the country. So she oh, took the course yeah. while working and having her kids do I school know that. in the RV. I, know, I knew who she is. Yeah. Oh, you know who she is? Yeah, it was Yeah, crazy, well, I know but... that story. I know that yeah. she, I know who it is because that's a not something you hear every day. Yeah. And she said it was really life-changing. Like it was incredible to do the work and to turn inward and get clear about what she wanted out of her life and her marriage and sort of touch base with that. So I thought that was, you know, an incredible thing for her to do during this crazy time period. Yeah. It's so wild because I taught it. I think the last time I taught it was at the end of last year. Yeah. In the fall of, or in the late fall of 2020. And I thought not many people are going to want to take this. Like no one has time for this type of thing. And it was the most enrollment we've ever had. I think because people are having a sort of reckoning with their lives. I know I have in a lot of ways. Yeah. So it was, that's cool that she, that she did it during, you know, in an RV and yeah, (laughs) it's so nice to ask ourselves these big questions. I mean, Sometimes it's not nice. Sometimes it's really uncomfortable because you kind of know that we're not living the way we want to live, right? But well, and you how do, do it. I mean, <laughs> I know exactly what you mean because when I talk to women and before I started working in sobriety, I worked at L'Oreal in marketing and advertising. Oh, uh, okay. And I mean, I swear every woman in corporate America needs life coaching and needs this work because you're doing all the things you're supposed to do. And yet you're like, why aren't I happy? Yeah. And so trying to figure that out. And a lot of times it's not, I think everybody could, I mean, everybody should take, you know, should ask themselves these questions because otherwise you end up living a pretty unconscious life. A lot of times what people discover is not that they need to do this big thing. You know, they don't, need to have some grand accomplishment. And it's not about, you know, hitting the eject button on their life in a big way, whether it's their relationship or their career. You know, a lot of people think that's what they want. Uh-huh. And what they really want is to find meaning in what they have, right? Like appreciate what they have and to be more intentional with how they're living. And this, and I love when that happens, you know, because our lives, not everyone is supposed to, or wants to ultimately have these massive, you know, accomplishments. Like that's not really the definition of success for a lot of people or, or they think it is. And then that they do that and it doesn't work out, Mm -hmm. you know, it doesn't give them what they wanted. 
which is meaning. Like that's what we all want. We want meaning. It's a tricky thing to aim at. So how do you take women through that process? Because I know the work you do is pretty structured in terms of the steps to get to that meaning or or what they want in their lives. Yeah. Well, I do. It's a course open to all genders and identifications. So it's not just women, but it's almost okay. all women that take the course. I wish there were more men that did this type of work. <laughs> <laughs> and every now and it will get like, you know, five, 10 percent men on a good day in any of my programs. I wish it was more. But um, the structure is quite simple, actually. The course is six topics over seven weeks. And we start with having them take an inventory, really, of their life as it is. It is pretty structured, but it's purposely simple. And there's, you know, I emphasize, at least in my, this course, especially, but in in everything I teach that this is really like, I'm not giving you the answers. I don't know the answers for you. I'm just facilitating your process and give, give people guidelines to, you know, and, and really a lot of questions for them to answer internally. So the first topic we get into is faith. And it's always a tricky word for some people and to approach this topic of faith, because you know a lot of people, some people have religious trauma, but more than that, it's just not everyone identifies with having faith, you know? And so I talk about what that word actually means and really in, in sort of a mindset way, you know, are you, do you believe in scarcity or abundance? Mm. Do you believe in, um, you know, do you really live with a lot of doubt or do you have trust, you know, that things will come to you and that you get what you need and that type of thing. So we explore a lot of that and that the entry point. And then we, then we go into week two is truth. And that's really looking at your life as it is kind of examining at the very, you know, this is a very high overview, but what's working, what's not. And then Uh, The third week is uh, clarity and the fourth week is alignment and the fifth week is devotion. And then the sixth week is integration. So as you, you kind of go, you do a lot of looking back in the first few weeks and then a lot of looking forward in the in the second half of the class. And one of the things I do is to get people in their bodies. So a lot of, you know, this isn't what I try to, instill in people is like, you're more than these thoughts that you have, like, that's one part of you, your mind, but you actually have several voices, so so to speak, inside of you, you have an emotional language that you can tap into and listen to and understand. And um, you have a body, and our bodies are incredibly wise and hold every experience we've ever had. And we in Western culture, but also particularly in women are very disconnected from our bodies. We sort of demonize them or just think of them as like these machines that can just keep going and we want to manipulate them or shrink them. Or, you know, I know for me, I had a lot of disconnection from my body and for people who have gone through addiction, which a lot of people in my class, my courses have in this course, they're really disconnected from their body. And when you're disconnected from your body, you're really disconnected from this really beautiful source of inner wisdom. So every week there's a body component, a movement component. I also incorporate music. I incorporate a lot of literature and poetry and beautiful, you know, words that I've drawn inspiration from. And then there's a lot of self-inquiry. They get homework every week. And the idea is that I believe we are the best, they are the experts on us. You know, you're the expert on you. I'm not. I'm the expert on me. And that goes for everybody. And, and a lot of times it's a matter of asking the right questions or opening the door for people to explore themselves. And that process is super revealing if, if you allow it to be. If you can get out of your own way and maybe, you know, your ego's way, I suppose you could say, and 
allow yourself to ask difficult questions about mm-hmm. what's working and what's not, and what do I really want? You know, what do I really, really, really want? To me, this type of work is so, I don't really believe that our sort of unused potential is a benign thing. Like it doesn't just, if we don't use it, it doesn't just sort of sit there and nothing much happens. I think a lot of the pain for me of addiction and a lot of the pain that a lot of people are in are are a result of knowing we could be more than we are and Mm -hmm. we are not doing it. We could live differently and more, more in alignment with who we are. We could have more, we could, and I don't mean material things, but we could live into our potential. And I mean, you know what that feels like when you're not doing it. It's resentment and bitterness and depression Mm -hmm. and all those things. To me, it's that part of tapping into your body, you know, because a lot of people, I think myself included for a long time, were like, I don't know what else I want, but I know I feel like you mentioned resentment, bitterness, depression, like you just feel like you have this crushing weight on your shoulders, but especially when you're drinking, you can't imagine what else there could be. You're sort of trapped in what is. Right. Well, yeah. And, and drinking is a, you know, drinking keeps you stuck, period. It, it just will. Uh, I think Carolyn Knapp said in Drinking a Love Story is like, when you stop drinking, you stop waiting. And that was true for me. So yeah. And I don't mean to say depression is always caused by, is always in our own, you know, in our capability to just fix by mm-hmm. living differently, because sometimes it's not. But a lot of times, the way that we are living and the choices that we are making and our circumstances. And there's all these layers of things, some of which we don't have control over, but some of which we do that, yeah, that can lead to depression and definitely resentment and bitterness. And because we know we could, we're not what we could be. Mm -hmm. And that's a crushing feeling, right? To know that you're, for me, it was a disconnect from that disconnect from my possibility was like dangerous for me. It was deeply pain because it's so painful. Mm-hmm. Well, and then I know a lot of women sit there and, and wonder, should, you know, shouldn't I just be happy with what I have? Shouldn't I just appreciate? Yes. And so that's a big hurdle to overcome. Totally. Yes. A lot of people feel that way. I have felt that way. And, you know, a lot of that is sort of because we've been living according to what someone else's idea of a meaningful, successful life is, right? Mm-hmm. And when that doesn't, we've been following the, the blueprint that we saw in Disney movies or that our parents told us or that society told us we should be pursuing. And when that doesn't pay off and we still find ourselves miserable, that's a deep disappointment. And it's like, what's wrong with me? You know, and it's not that anything's wrong with you. Usually it's that you are living according to someone else's playbook. Mm-hmm. And, and a lot of times people don't realize that, you know, it's like, there's an unconsciousness, just, there's just this like, I'm miserable and I don't know why. It doesn't matter what I do, it seems. I'm still left with me. And why am I unhappy? Yeah. So where is the place that people usually need to start? With questions. You know, I think for me, it's simply being asked the right questions and exploring those honestly, whether it's in writing, I encourage a lot of writing, um, just, you know, handwriting, journal type writing, or in conversation. That's the starting point, just having someone ask the right questions or ask any questions, like, what do you want, is a big question. And you'll hear a lot of people say, I don't know, but they do know. 
they at least know it's not this a lot of times, you know, that, that, that's a start, but a lot of people will say they don't know what they want, but what they really mean is they don't, they're afraid to say what they want because yeah. who am I to want that? Or what, if I want that, what does that mean for my life? Yeah. That's a big right. one, right? If I want that, what does that mean for everything I've built right. up around me? Right. I heard exactly. you say that, not this on another podcast. And I thought that was really great as a place to start. Yeah. And it's not me, by the way. It's, oh, it's not. It's Elizabeth Gilbert. One. No, no, no. I mean, I, I'm sure lots of people have said not this, but Elizabeth Gilbert wrote this. You should link it up where this yeah. incredible, it was actually a Facebook post. It might be, a. I think she turned it into like a blog type post. It's an essay. It's a short essay called not this. And it was published several years ago. And uh, it's brilliant because it provides that really accessible starting point. Like a lot of times we we don't exactly know where we're going, but we know it's not this. This is not, it's not, not here, not this relationship, not this job, not this whatever. The, there's, a, there's another side to that too. And this is more what I'm curious about people exploring is the outer circumstances are always are are one thing, but you could find all different kinds of relationships and all different kinds of places to live and jobs. And I did all that, you know, the just jumping around and relocating and dating new people and switching jobs when I was bored or uncomfortable or whatever, you're still left with you. So a lot of this is acceptance and in getting to know yourself, like, who, who am I? Who is this person? When you get sober, like, that's a big question. A lot of people don't know what they like, how they want to spend their time. Yeah. You know, what their preferences are, what, especially I know, notice mothers and um, women, and especially mothers, I would say, because they get really lost in the role of being in service to others. They, they don't know who they, they lose sight of themselves. And I remember when I quit drinking, a big question was like, what do I actually like more than wine? And Mm -hmm. I was sort of at a loss to answer that. Um, Yeah. Which is hard. How do you fill up that time? Yeah. Like what, what do I do now? What, what do I enjoy? What's fun? You know, what's, how do I have conversations? How do I go on a date? How do I, yeah, all those things. And that's part of it too, you know, is is just creating a space where we can intentionally explore that, that those questions is what I provide or what I teach in that, in that class, really any of the classes, you know, I think so much of it is just creating the space to do these things, to ask these questions, to do this work. Yeah. I loved you at a quote, and I think it's in your book about the bigger yes, that there is a life that's calling you forward, begging you to meet its eye. Mm -hmm. Tell me more about that. Like, how do you encourage people through the class to say, okay, what is that bigger thing for you? Even if it's, you know, internal meaning or finding meaning in what you do every day. Yeah. I mean, it, it, that is the process of the class really is taking them through the inquiry and self-discovery to reveal some things to themselves. Some of it is exploration of values. Some of it is looking back on who you were when you were a child Mm -hmm. and what interested you and what sparked your attention and your, you know, before you had ideas about what was right or wrong to be doing or liking. Uh, Some of it is, looking at the totality of your life to this point and saying what's missing, like what would I be uncomfortable leaving? If I, if things were to end tomorrow, what am I unwilling to leave out of this story? I mean, mm-hmm. for me, that was huge. It was like, I'm unwilling to not, you know, to, I, I'm, I want to, I'm going to publish a book. I'm going to, uh, there's no way. I mean, even before I got sober, I would think, to the end and think like, is this my story that I just don't get sober? Mm-hmm. Like, no. And, and to force those, those questions and then it, having people explore themselves from a non sort of 
traditional identity role. You know, you're not just the roles that you have, mother, occupation, wife, partner, friend, sister, but like who, who, and your essence, who are you, you know, and getting people to think about that. And that's always really powerful too. And there's a whole exercise I take them through, but like, you're not beneath all the roles that you play, who, who's under there, what's Mm -hmm. the essence of who's under there. Um, And that's really powerful too, because we don't consider who we are outside of our roles very often. No, I don't. You have to purposefully do that. And so it's kind of this partially cerebral process of thinking and exploring and partially this embodied process of just opening the door to be in tune with your, with the wisdom in your body. And for some people that comes very easily and they're already there, you know, they, they do that type of work. And for some people that's like a completely unknown uncharted territory you know it's mind-blowing when they get in a couple different yoga poses and listen to to certain songs and ask their themselves questions it's like (laughs) you know the waterworks and the the surge of different emotions and memories and all that so it's partially cerebral it's partially embodied um, and and then there's a lot of intuition that comes in there, you know, and, and sort of, I, my belief is that I co-create, I believe in a God. um, I call, I say God, but you know, I believe in a, um, a higher power um, and, a and that I, you know, this isn't all random. We're not just floating along at random. And so cultivating that type of relationship is another piece of it. You know, when we, that, that for a lot of people, I forget that all the time. Like I don't have to force, I'm part of a much larger, larger ecosystem, Mm -hmm. you know, that starts here, but in my, and then in my home and then in my community, and then it extends outward. And then, you know, it includes everyone and everything when you think about it like that, it's like, okay, so what's my role to play? Um, And a lot of people just don't even, they have this longing or this sort of scratch, this voice that's scratched at them, but they, they think, who am I to like have some big dream? Who am I to think that I play an important part in this world? There's a lot of that. Like, that's ridiculous. I wonder if that's, that's when you should people. like pay attention when you hear that voice saying, who am Absolutely. I? Absolutely. Like that's like, yes. Yeah. Yes. You, that is, that small voice is very wise, has a lot to say. I think that's like a soul voice, you know, or a, <clears throat> we get a lot of instruction that way that we just totally ignore because. Or that's like the resistance against something that you really want, but then you're sort of pulling yourself back because of all the fears about what it would mean or what people would think, or what if you fail, all that stuff. That's right. Yeah. And so we talk a lot about that too, you know, like, who are you not to Marianne Williamson has that great passage, you know, where it's not um, our darkness that we fear, but our light. Mm-hmm. And I think that's absolutely true. A lot of people like self-included feared the light, the bigness that we felt inside of us much more than the heavy, dark feelings. What do you think was the biggest thing you feared in that? Like, what was the, uh, I don't know. I think I, I didn't know. It's a lot of energy for me. It's just, it's a lot of energy. It's, it's big energy. Like it feels frightening. Um, yeah, there was a lot of it's a, it's the energy of sort of creation mm-hmm. you know that it it can feel very scary yeah yeah i don't know how else to put it that's that's how it feel it it felt and feels to me um cuz it's like what does this want for me what am i if i'm going to follow this what's going to happen yeah it's the unknown yeah I mean, a lot yeah, of us kind of follow know. the prescribed steps of 
you know, college, job, promotions, kids, house. And then it's kind of scary to, to even ask the questions of, is this what I want? And, and if not, what does that mean? Absolutely. No, it's, it's super scary. And it means a lot of times, you know, people have to go against the wishes of people that have cared for them and provided for them or go against what people want for them goes against what they've agreed to be, mm-hmm. you know, and in this life and what they the contracts they've made with people and all the relationships. And yeah, it's it can be quite terrifying. I mean, as someone who switched careers at 30 seven and you know I was a single mom it's like who does this but a lot of people do yeah that's the thing a lot of people do and it's possible I had people championing me and you know that's another piece of it is just hearing other people going through a similar process is always really helpful and that's something that's cool that happens in classes like that where you realize it's not like, just oh, a solitary experience Yeah. And you realize like, oh, I have this, that people, like we all have the same fears and the same feelings and the same worries and the same stories that we're telling ourselves about what's possible or not possible, especially. Yeah. And like, what if I dropped all that? There's the potential to be totally surprised by life and by myself. Well, and I think what's nice is starting with exploration because a lot of us don't know what the end answer is or are scared of what that will be. So we stop ourselves from ever asking the question. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. It just, which is so, so unfortunate. Yeah. Yeah. I, and I think this is something I wanted to talk about this because I feel like once you stop drinking, you know, drinking keeps your, goals and your expectations pretty low. It it enables you, you're checking out every night and you're kind of like recovering every morning. So you're really spending a lot of time treading water and beating yourself up. So I feel like we put up with a lot of shit that you wouldn't normally. And suddenly you've stopped drinking and all the shit that you drank over is still there and something has to give. Like you're suddenly left without your like film around you. And you're like, oh, shit, if I don't change something, I will probably go back to drinking because this is sort of intolerable. Yeah, this this being out of alignment with myself, really what it is, is very painful, very painful. Yeah, that's it. And it, it does require that we change or, you know, live sort of miserably sober, which is like. Terrible. No good either. (laughs) No, it's no good. Yeah. When we're drinking, we just kind of stay in survival mode. Yeah. And we get out of that and we're like, our life, it's like the water gets clear and you're like, oh, (laughs) I see everything now underneath. But that's the good stuff, right? That you're finally able to look at stuff and make changes. It is good, but it doesn't feel good. Yeah. Yeah. It doesn't always feel good. It actually feels to a lot of people horrible to face all that. And even if, you know, even if it's like, not like you've created the, because a lot of people stop drinking before, you know, they don't, I have a ton of wreckage, right? A lot of people don't, but they have that same sort of reckoning where they stop drinking and their life is now visible to them and their feelings are available to them. And that can be quite the shock be quite the shock. Yeah. I thought it was interesting because my friend who I was talking to, I asked her what made her decide to take your course. And she said, Mm -hmm. you know, after she stopped drinking, she sort of looked around and said, okay, what am I doing? Is this it? What's the purpose for Mm -hmm. doing all this? Like I need more, but I need Mm -hmm. help figuring that out. And I thought that was very cool. Yeah. It's a very common it's a beautiful question. It's a very common question. It's the one I had, like, I kind of knew what direction I wanted to go, I guess, but I also was very lost. You know, we, we, of course we are. And it, I get a lot of people who take this 
sort of at a certain phase of life too. You know, it's not a lot of young, younger people. It's like people in their forties, fifties, sixties who have lived sort of a life already Mm. and are like, okay, (laughs) this isn't how I want to spend the rest of my life. I just, when you were saying that, I thought of Brene Brown's like the midlife unraveling. Have you heard that about the universe places her hands on your shoulder and says, you know, basically I'm not fucking around anymore. Time is growing short. Yeah. Yes. And that is, I, I mean, it's so weird to me that that's, I'm in middle age, but I I know, (laughs) I don't know if you feel that way, but it's really weird. And like, I I still see myself as being so much younger, but my feelings about life and my, yeah, the not fucking aroundness <laughs> is definitely present. Yeah. yeah. And sobriety will do that to you too. You know, I had the sense that I had wasted a lot of time, even though I hadn't, you know, I don't, I don't really believe that was true. I think a lot of people spring out from drinking and they're like, oh God, now I need to make things make sense and make things right. Which is a great motivation. Like use it. (laughs) Use it. Yeah. And what about Mm -hmm. struggling with sort of the idea of permission, right? Sort of changing the status Mm -hmm. quo and the rules that, you know, sort of everyone in your life kind of bought into. Yeah. I mean, my take on that is like who, if you have the privilege to do this kind of work and anyone who takes the course does have a certain amount of privilege, just you have the resources, you have Wi-Fi, you have, I can't say that everybody's life is easy, certainly, but you're able to function, you're able to pay for a course, you're able to, to participate you're healthy enough, that type of thing. If you can do it, who are you? You better. That's how I feel like, who are you not to do that? Right. Who are you not to play your part? Because ultimately I think of it, like I talk a lot in the course, the course is based on a a book called the great work of your life by Stephen Cope, which is based on the Bhagavad Gita, which is an ancient text and it's really about dharma finding dharma and dharma in there's many definitions of dharma but in yogic you know philosophy it's it's sort of referred it's truth you know truth or the way and dharma is in yogic philosophy deemed to be something blueprinted on you it's not something that you make up it's something inside of you and you your responsibility is to live into it And that everybody has a dharma, right? Everyone has a purpose or a a unique blueprint inside of them. And I always say like humans are the only people or the only species that are really confused about their dharma, right? You don't (laughs) see like cats trying to be dogs or birds, you know, jealous of the dogs because they want to, you know, be on the ground you know, be digging holes versus flying, you know, frogs aren't confused. They all have a place and humans are the ones that get, and you know, this is a silly, it's a silly, but sort of metaphor, but it works because humans get all twisted up and we have these minds, these beautiful minds, but they're also like create a lot of bullshit stories, you know, and like things like I need permission. It's like, but you, this is who you are. If this is who you are, your job is to be who you are. Like that is the primary job that you have, right? And by doing that, this is the important part, by doing that, by becoming who you are and fulfilling your potential to the best of your ability, you are an you are in service to other people. You are in service to the greater ecosystem, right? You're playing your part. So the permission thing, that's how I answer it. It's like, Mm -hmm. you don't just have permission, but you kind of have a responsibility. You have a duty to play your part. You know, this isn't just like fun and games. Like I really do believe that 
that our unused potential or our, if we aren't playing our part, so to speak, that creates a lot of pain and bitterness and resentment. It's not a benign thing at all. Mm-hmm. It doesn't just go away. It creates a lot of pain and darkness. So do you feel like at the end of this process, people come away with the tools where not only are they sort of living with greater meaning, but if they start to feel that bitterness, that resentment, they they kind of can dig into that to resolve that more quickly? I look at it. I mean, look, nobody's entire life gets fixed or set. The course can be changed, but nobody's life gets fixed in yes. six weeks or seven weeks. But I look at it as like planting seeds. Like there's seeds in there that you can use and grow and tend to, and that you get to keep as tools. Yes. And, and insight and awareness, if you're willing to, to look at it and take it that will, that can change the course of your life. So I guess that the answer is yes, but I wouldn't say that after six or seven weeks, people, you know, go walking into the sunlight and they're getting dressed by bluebirds and everything makes sense. Yeah. You know, it's not like that. I think a lot of people often leave with a lot more questions than answers, but that's good. You know, it's like they've, they finally have the permission to a lot of times go after what they want mm-hmm. and to see themselves in a different light, to see their expanse of their life in a different light, you know, perspective can be everything. And I try to, to help them achieve that for themselves to get a, a shift in perspective. So yeah, I think ultimately they leave with a lot of questions, important questions, maybe a few answers. A lot of times people don't leave with what they think they were going to leave with. Everyone comes in thinking, I need a new job. You know, that's always like <laughs> really? what they want. Oh yeah. I need a new job. I hate my job. And a lot of times people leave going, no, that's not wrong, but this is, I want to, I want to live more intentionally here. Sometimes people do want to change their job, but all the time, you know, it's cool because I have people take the class multiple times. That happens a lot. And like, even just yesterday, someone posted uh, one of the students that had taken it a couple of times posted on Facebook that she had started a company that she had talked about the ideas for in the bigger yes a few years ago. I was like, oh, I love that. I love seeing that, you know? Um, And sometimes it's a company. Sometimes it's just a different way of moving through the world, through their life. Yeah. Are there any practices that you do sort of every day or every week that help you? Yeah, I'm a big, huge fan of morning pages. It's a practice that Julia Cameron developed in the artist's way. I do that every morning. And it's just free writing, automatic writing, she calls it. You just um, dump your thoughts. You can look it up online. The Artist's Way is a beautiful book. I do that. I just have a habit of doing that. I am have finally become a consistent meditator. And I think that that's mm. a really impactful tool. Did it take you a while to do that? Because for five years, I've been like, I should meditate. Yeah, it took me about six years. So I mean, I (laughs) there's hope for me yet. Yeah, there's totally hope. I finally did it because I had just been telling myself for that for so long. And when I would do it, I would feel shifts, but I just never stuck with it. And I've been spending a lot of time listening to Sam Harris in the past year. He talks a lot about meditation. And then I have a coach now who meditation for him is the absolute number one sort of that's his baseline. You know, he's sober also. And says like, that is his bedrock is meditation, Mm -hmm. his meditation practice. So I was like, all right. 2021 is the year I developed a consistent meditation practice and I have it's so far it's been great. You know, it's interesting because now that I'm doing it consistently, it's a lot like sort of sobriety where it doesn't feel that great initially, like Mm. at all. It actually brings up a lot of junk, (laughs) but luckily I have people to ask like, 
is this normal? Like, yeah, that's what happens. Like my tolerance for caffeine is like nothing now that I've started meditating, like weird shit like that. Oh, that's interesting. How long do you meditate every day? 10 minutes, 20 minutes, like not anything, no, no superhero meditating. It's just basic stuff. But yeah, yeah, I was like, why can I not stand more than a cup of coffee? Like I usually was a three cup, you know, a day type of person. I can barely tolerate the one I, my anxiety just goes. So, and my, my coach was like, oh yeah, that's totally normal. (laughs) meditation and caffeine don't go they aren't friends like god damn it why am I doing this can I have nothing I've already stopped drinking (laughs) can I have nothing so I can't have nice things ever yeah Um, okay so morning pages and meditation anything else that you feel like is a no for me that I mean I'm a sleep like I take sleep super seriously. So for me, that is a, I get eight hours of sleep, like religiously. Mm. Um, I mean, sometimes I don't, but it's, but I try, I, it's not for lack of being in bed. It's like, I'll just have a bad night of sleep, be restless, but sleep is a huge thing for me. Um, Those are, that's it. I think, you know, you hear like these really intricate, long, you know, morning practices. And this is, these are the 15 things you have to do every day to change your life. And it just isn't sustainable for me. It's like very simple practices. Yeah. I have to keep things very simple and small and then you build, right? Cause it used to just be, I'm not going to drink today. And it was everything I could do to not drink today. And I don't have to think about that anymore ever, but that took a while. You know, so you build these smaller habits and then, and then you can, they have compound interest yeah. in your life. Mm-hmm. Well, I loved what you said originally. And I feel like everything since then sort of built on how you get to this with the idea of just living in alignment with your core values or with who you are meant to be and being intentional in that. So you're not fighting that all the time. Yeah. I mean, a way of thinking about being intentional, because it's a big leap to go like, am I living exactly the way I want? I mean, most people would say no, I would say no, it's not ever exact. It's a process. But a big sort of tip off is like, is what I think, what I feel, and what I do the same in the same vein, you know, are Mm -hmm. those things aligned? Or is what I think, and what I say, and what I do very different. That's being out of alignment, right? I say I want these things, but I don't really want them. I hate them. <laughs> you know, <laughs> I'm around these people and I don't like them. I say I want to exercise more, take care of my body or eat better or whatever it is. And I don't like my actions aren't there. So that's misalignment, right? I say I want to write a book, which I said for ever but yet I go to this job every single day that I pretty much hate. Like that's being out of alignment. And the first thing is just to notice, okay, I didn't really say why morning pages is helpful. I find that helpful because you have to approach it correctly. And and it's not rocket science, but it does take some practice because it's unconscious writing. You're not trying to solve a problem. You're literally putting on paper what comes up into your mind as it comes. Mm -hmm. So it's this very unedited, messy, no punctuation, no, it doesn't make much sense. You're not, you know, it's, it's certainly never anything you would show anybody. It pulls up a lot of our subconscious. And so we start to see things, hear things in our words that are interesting. We start to see patterns. It also is like, I call it like taking out the trash. You're like taking out the trash in the morning. So you're not operating with all this junk in your mind. You know, the best, most cathartic morning pages I have are when I'm really pissed off and I just need to say all the nasty, unspiritual (laughs) shit that needs to come out, right? Put it on paper. And then it, there's a huge release Mm -hmm. in doing that. Yeah. So that's why it's helpful. And as you do that, you start to get closer to yourself. 
an unmasking, a slow sort of unmasking. And it's just you in the paper. You don't, you know, you don't have to sit there and tell someone or anything like that. You can just have this relationship with the, the page. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Okay. You've convinced me. I think I'm going to go start doing that on a regular basis. It's great. I really love it. And it's like, I just do one, you know, sort of big page every day and mm-hmm. it takes 10 minutes. And it's really, I notice when I don't do it, I feel not as well. <laughs> yeah. Well, so I know people are going to want to follow up with you and I could summarize your programs, but I know you'll do it so much better. So will you share the work you do and how people can follow you? Sure. So my website is my name. It's lauramccowan.com. I have my courses there and my book, which you can buy anywhere books are sold. The courses that I teach now Uh, there's two. One is The Bigger Yes, which we've been talking about. And the other one is called We Are the Luckiest, which is the name of my book. The the course came out before the book did, but it um, that is a sobriety program, like not to how to get sober, but how to sort of thrive in sobriety. And those are both online courses. The sobriety community that I started last year, The Luckiest Club is at theluckiestclub.com, but you can find it at my site and on my website too. And uh, that's a sobriety support community. We offer 23 meetings a week, support meetings on Zoom and a private community forum where people can connect with each other. So that's for anybody in any length of sobriety, sober curious, you know, just thinking about getting sober or people that have, you know, decades of sobriety and they're not AA meetings. They're, um, we welcome all paths to recovery. So that's what that is. And then yeah, that's really my work right now. That's great. Well, thank you so much for the work you do. I mean, your book was amazing. I know so many women who've read it and loved it. And it's really touched them in a deep way more than many of the other books they've read. So thank you. It's incredible. And your home podcast way back in the day, it helped me so much. Oh my God. Yes. home. I know. Well, thank you so much for being here. This is awesome. Yeah. Thanks, Casey. Thank you for listening to this episode of the Hello Someday podcast. If you're interested in learning more about me, the work I do, and access free resources and guides to help you build a life you love without alcohol, please visit hellosomedaycoaching.com. And I would be so grateful if you would take a few minutes to rate and review this podcast so that more women can find it and join the conversation about drinking less and living more. I'm Madeline and I'm the host of the Happiest Sober Podcast. I got sober in my 20s after a decade of gray area drinking and the greatest plot twist of all time was realizing that alcohol, the thing that I thought made my life the most happy and fun and exciting, was actually the exact thing preventing me from living my happiest and best life. My mom is 40 years sober and she joins me on my podcast very often. I like to call her my part-time co-host and I also bring you solo episodes where I share my top tips, tricks, and mindset shifts in sobriety and lots of how to's for navigating all the things sober from weddings to parties to holidays to bachelorette parties to trips. I'm also joined by so many guests who come on and share their sober stories and they're all so, so inspiring. I'm here to show you that life doesn't end when you quit drinking. In fact, it's very much the opposite. And no matter what your relationship was with alcohol, life can be the absolute happiest when you're sober. New episodes come out every Tuesday. You can listen to Happiest Sober Podcast wherever you get your podcasts.